What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disconnected Gamers Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Andrew, also known as J-Bond. Uh, with me, as always, is not your boy Mike. He is actually a little under the weather, a.k.a. he wants to play Animal Crossing, so he will not be joining us. Uh, <laughs> CJ is here. Have no fear. I What's like going that. on, guys? Ooh, I like that. Have no fear. CJ is here. Yeah, that works. Rolls off the tongue. Um, sure does. This is, this is episode 101. Uh, it is an interview. We have two of the developers from Double Dash Studios here to talk with us today about Skyracket and, and other development stuff as we go. Um, it, you guys, feel free to introduce yourselves um, and then tell us a little bit about Skyracket. Sure. Uh, okay, so my name is Jean Deer. I am a, a creative producer at Double Dash Studios, and I worked as the art director of Skyracket. And uh, um, hi, <laughs> Lucas. Uh, yeah, I'm Lucas. Uh, I'm the content director for Double Dash, and I worked as the lead game designer for Skyracket. Awesome, and um, thank you both. Thank you both for joining us. Obviously, I should get that out of the way first. Um, <laughs> Uh, we met at PAX East. Um, I got an opportunity to play the game. Uh, it's very fun. Um, it's it's a it's a schmuck kind of, but I'm not going to try and do the elevator pitch because I'm not I'm not very good at it. It's it's <laughs> it, I think it's easier for people who see the game to understand it um, what it is. But obviously, I feel like you guys have a an, uh, a better way of explaining the game to people who might not have seen it or heard of it before so i'll let you guys um kind of kind of talk about what the game is um and then um we can have a little a little chat about just kind of the development process and stuff like that sure uh okay yeah. so uh so sky racket is a mix between a block breaker and a shoot 'em up we call it a shmup breaker uh, just a little pun uh and the idea is that you are in a in an environment that Kind of like a sh kind of like a shmup, you know. You have lots of enemies, and and the action doesn't really stop. There's always something trying to hit you, uh, but you are unable to shoot to shoot back at them. You don't have a weapon to do that. You only have a racket, and you you have the ability to strike enemies attack attacks back at them. So we're, it's kind of like while they are trying to shoot at you, you are kind of like just playing uh, a pong match against them and the ball is going to be your main weapon you get it to bounce all, all, all around all over the screen and that's what's going to damage the enemies and, and give you points yeah, the idea is just uh, mashing up these two uh, classic arcade genres uh, but also with like this uh, a, a visual very very inspired by um, 80s and 90s uh, Japanese arcade games uh so uh that mashup just creates uh what we're calling it uh a brand new genre as lucas said it's we're, we're calling it the world's first shmup breaker awesome um yeah i was you know very visually drawn to it obviously you know the influence from from uh you know 80s and 90s arcade games is definitely there um you know it's one of the the things i remember telling you guys this at pax one of the reasons that I, I was drawn to uh, wanting to play this game and it's, and it's not um, like it's, it's bullet hellish, but it's not as uh, kind of intense as some of the other games 
Um, so one of the questions that I, I had for you guys um, was kind of where do you guys, you know, I, I don't want to say delineate, but, you know, where do you kind of draw the line during the development process and making levels like incredibly challenging or challenging enough that it's still fun to play? Because um, obviously, you know, with the art style and, and the overall gameplay, like, it's a it's a very casual and fun game. It's very inviting. You've got lots of bright colors, things like that. Um, but where do you kind of find that balance between like making it like punishing and making it fun? Um, um, yeah, that was actually one of the biggest challenges, at least for me. You know, uh, it was a big challenge to find that uh, to try and find that balance because. If I was when I was looking at the uh, the references, you know, I I looked at a a, a block breaking game, and it's kind of you know it's usually uh, more not not so difficult, you know, it's more just trying to keep the balls on screen and break everything. And if you look at at a at a shoot 'em up, you can get way too punish uh, punitive because you you get the bullet hell things like Toho and and you know it just you barely have any space to move, and we can't have that on on Skyrocket. Uh, I think that what guided uh, the, the logic behind the, the levels so we could try and find that balance was the idea of uh, always having a path for the player. Like uh, the bullets, they can't just close the player in a, in a tight space. They have to make paths so that the player has somewhere to move between the bullets and find the ball. So whenever we wanted to make it more challenging, we wouldn't do it by uh, just adding more bullets on screen. Uh, we will try. We will try and do it by limiting the the space that the player has to move around, and we can do that by either adding some kind of obstacle that can damage the player, so that's a, a some, that makes it harder, or we can just uh, limit it, limit the space with you know blocks and things that are harmless to the player, but they still will uh, act as a physical barrier. So we had we tried to add different levels of. Uh, of objects that could help us do that kind of uh, that kind of limitations, and I think that was the that was the the greatest guideline for us to work with the difficulty for the game. Also, uh, the mashup brings uh, a lot of. Um, I mean, you have the action from the shoot 'em ups, and you have the the casual uh, fun from the block breakers. Uh, that's something that you can just, you know, uh, some some parts of the game are act more like a shoot 'em up. Uh, some parts of the game act more like a block breaker. When we get to the bosses, that's when you, the game goes kind of bullet hellish. You you get more uh, more shots on the screen, more balls flying around, more things that you have to dodge, um, and also uh, we are. There's some spikes of difficulty uh, during the game, and as more as you as you progress more in the game, uh, you gotta you have more difficulty, and that really brings the whole challenge of the shmup uh, genre together. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, See, Jason, so I just asked a couple questions. Um, what did, what did you have? I know you said you'd get a couple questions you wanted to ask as well. Yeah, uh, I'm curious how the whole idea was spawned. Like, obviously, shmups are a genre that goes far and wide. They've been around a long time, and there's all different entries in there. But 
Brick Breakers are just kind of usually something that's just like a casual app that you download on your phone and play. So how, how did those two genres mash up for you guys? What, what spawned that idea? Um, I think it began, it, it actually began as a shoot 'em up. Uh, it was an idea that uh, Lucas had uh, a long time ago uh, that was just about a kid flying with a racket and he would uh, strike enemy uh, fire back at them. Uh, but we always had, the, I mean, we've, we've talked about that idea a couple of times, but we always had the trouble of how would you aim the balls back at the enemies? I mean, if, if it were something like, like an auto-aim, that would be too easy. Uh, if you had to aim like with a, with a mouse or a second analog stick, then that would just kind of complicate things. Uh, then one day came the idea of uh, using the the same um, uh, control that a pedal on an Arkanoid uh, or on Pong that you have. You need to put the pedal on an angle so you can just angle the ball where you want it to go. Um, and then we had the opportunity of doing the game during a game jam, uh, and that's when it really took off. Nice. Yeah, because uh, the, the team for the game jam was arcade. So we wanted to give that very strong feeling of an arcade game. And uh, since we were already getting taking inspiration from the Arcanoid pedal for the, the way that you strike the ball back, we try we decided to inspire take more inspiration in, in the, the block breaker from the block breaker uh, genre by because we wanted something that were some kind of element in the game that was there uh, with the purpose of uh, yeah, getting high scores, you know, like something that uh, the player is always looking for to get a, a to get to to rack up uh, points, to rack up score. So the idea of having a bunch of blocks that you could just bounce a ball around and break them uh, was very uh, inviting <laughs> in that in that sense. Nice. Um, speaking of, um, I, I think this is worth mentioning, and, and I'm, I'm sure we would have gotten to it at some point, but I'll bring it up. Um, you guys are, are in Brazil, so you are, you know, game developers in Brazil, which is, you know, not a thing that, I guess for me, as, as somebody who's been kind of doing uh, gaming stuff, uh, you know, from the sense of coverage, I guess, for a long time, I didn't, I didn't know how big, um, you know, the, the development scene was there. Um, so can you guys, can you talk a little bit about what that's like? Like, obviously, like, you know, when you're, you know, starting out as a developer and, you know, you're not where I, I guess like the hub of, you know, game development really happens. Um, you know, what's, what are the challenges that you kind of face, um, kind of going through that? Because obviously as far as coding goes, like you need a laptop or, you know, any kind of computer, but, um, what's that like trying to network and, and kind of uh, branch out and, and meet other developers and kind of share ideas, um, you know, from, from your, like, geographical location? Um, so, you know, uh, you want to talk? I no, talk. you can go first. Oh, okay. Yeah, can uh, go first, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it actually, it's an industry in its infancy here in Brazil. Uh, so uh, really, we're just uh, getting started, but it's kind of growing uh, really fast. Uh, as you saw, you were at you were at Paxist. We had like four uh, we had four Brazilian companies there uh, just 
and at the indie mega booth so that was that that is kind of growing really fast uh last year there were two companies now we have four we we would have a lot of other companies going to gdc this year but then it got canceled um so so yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of growing uh, really fast uh but i and i think that's uh due to i mean we have a lot of talent here uh we have a lot of uh, but but most talents that we had here would usually you know go to other companies or go uh work abroad they would work for a company in the united states and canada or in europe um but now uh i guess the the whole change from physical to digital that gives us a lot of um opportunities to release games so i, I think people are uh, you know the whole uh, publishing thing is a little bit more inviting. Uh, you have you have Steam, you have like uh, the the digital stores. Uh, I think that helps a lot. I think that made a huge difference here. Um, and also, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can you can talk now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, it's funny because when we were starting, uh, there weren't uh, most companies didn't actually knew about each other. <laughs> It's kind of like you know that we knew about I don't know maybe one company that's in uh, in Brasilia that's uh, that's growing and then another company in, uh, further south, but uh, if we were would think about like what companies are in in Rio for example we didn't know about them we didn't know about them, but but now we we started getting together for uh, from a couple of years uh, ago to now and uh, so we we started. You know, trying to network between companies because we realized that there were many groups of people who were uh, starting, who were working on, on developing their own games, but they were like, they were hiding in their caves just like we were. <laughs> and uh, we started talking and we started getting to know other companies and we started helping each other. You know, if one company had a good opportunity to talk to a, a bigger company or someone who could be a, a business partner, they would uh, try to introduce other companies to them so that they would have the same opportunities. And that's when uh, things started to uh, get, uh, pick up the pace. You know? and, and this helped a lot <laughs> because now uh, we, we are able to make much more noise and we start to solve another problem that we have here in Brazil because... Like like Jande said, we are a, an industry that's very young, very new. Uh, so if you look at uh, bigger companies who are looking, for example, uh, po who are possible uh, investors and, and things like that, they don't really look uh, towards the, the the gaming industry, the game development industry here in Brazil, uh, because they were unable to know how many companies there were. And what we have been working on for the past few years is just to try and, and get everybody out there and make sure that the that possible investors and people who can help the comp the industry grow and uh, making sure that those people uh know that we exist <laughs> and this has been uh actually helping the industry grow a lot so it, it was we were everybody was hidden a couple of years back and now everybody is starting to get opportunities like going to packs and things like that you know the thing is, uh, Brazil is a really big uh, consumer of video games. Has always been ever since the the seventies and eighties. I mean, we had like our, we were producing our own Ataris. I'm I, I don't know how much you know about Famiclones. Uh, here in Brazil, there were like 
uh, kind of pirated versions of the of the NES uh, yep. during the eighties. Uh, there is also this crazy story that Brazil was actually the first uh, country uh, after Japan that was uh, allowed to produce uh, to manufacture uh, Super Nintendos. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a it's an industry that uh, has a lot of consumers here. So I think it's only natural that we start to create our own games here. Very cool. Very cool. Um, to touch on that, so um, you know, you mentioned that gaming is has been a, a thing. Obviously, it's a thing everywhere. But um, when you guys were younger, and you know, we were kids, I assume because you mentioned arcade games a couple times uh, earlier when you were talking about Skyrocket. Um, is that like you know, is that some place that you drew some in inspiration from when you guys were like kids and you were going to arcades and things like that? Um, is that kind of where um, some of that inspiration came from as well? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Skyrocket is just filled with a lot of uh, little nods and inspiration from a lot of games that we played during or when we were young, and also some some games and cartoons from nowadays actually. Uh, one of the, I mean, visually one of the great influences for Skyrocket was uh, Sega's Fantasy Zone. Uh, that's a, I don't, I don't know if you know, it's a shoot em up uh, by Sega from the 80s. Uh, it was kind of big here in Brazil because uh, it was one of the, the launching titles for the Master System. Uh, so a lot of people had that game on the Sega Master System and the Sega Master System was really big here in Brazil. Um, but the thing is, uh, in at Double Dash, um, I... Uh, I grew up as a huge Sega fan, and Lucas grew up as a huge Nintendo fan. So we're always like trying yeah. to pull these things on our games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you guys ever butt heads, you know, over like which which version of the Lion King is better? Is it the Sega Genesis or the Super Nintendo? <laughs> oh, no, Sega no, I, the I, Super Nintendo. Yeah, I think there's, there's, <laughs> I think there's no discussion there because the Sega Genesis version is just completely superior. <laughs> Broken like the SNES version. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I, sh I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't ask the question. Um, no, that's uh, that's fantastic. Um, uh, CJ, I'll let you ask because I again I just, I feel like I just keep asking questions and I'll let you get a couple in there. Yeah. Um, so what what does the future going forward look like for for you guys? I know are you going to stick with the shmup genre? Are you going to branch out? Are you going to keep the Art style. What what kind of ideas do you guys have going forward? Uh, we actually have a couple of projects on the way, uh, and they are very different from Skyracket. Uh, we never. I mean, this is not our first game. It's so it's our first commercial release. But uh, as Double Dash, we have made a lot of games before that. We've worked uh, a little bit with Cartoon Network, uh, doing games for their websites. Uh, we did uh, we did some games for companies here in Brazil. Uh, we also did a little bit of work for hire for um, some mobile games. But uh, Skyracket was actually our second shmup, uh, and I say second shmup because the first uh, one of our uh, we had a we had a study group before Double Dash, and one of the games that we studied uh, trying to uh, remake was Yars Revenge. On the on the Atari, 
we try to remake like a, a, a modern version. Uh, so yeah, um, the thing about it is we are, we are always trying to bring like Double Dash's, uh, let's say, DNA to our games. We try to make it fun and, and beautiful. We, we love pixel art, but then again, it's not the only art style that we, we used to work with. Um, so, uh, in, in short, uh, no, we're not, we're not doing a, a shmup and our, our next game is actually uh, very different. Cool. So what's the thing that makes a, a double dash game, a double dash game? What's like your guys's brand? We like, well, uh, we like bringing, we like thinking of the games not just like a game, but also like a pop culture product. Uh, we always think like, uh, would these you know, characters uh, be look cool on a T-shirt, for example? Uh, we like doing light things. We don't. We don't. I mean, we don't do like very you know violent games. I mean, not that we don't like to play violent games, but that's something that, as a company, uh, we just uh, feel like it doesn't fit us very well. Um, but we always uh, try, one, one of the things that we really like to do is, uh, and I think Skyracket really encompasses that, is uh, taking uh, familiar uh, games, you know, familiar mechanics, uh, and try a different approach with it. Like bring, taking familiar mechanics and just uh, spin it around and turn it into something brand new. Yeah, I, I like to think that, um... That we will we can we pick up uh, a familiar uh, mechanic and try to give it a little plot twist, you know, <laughs> because for example with Skyracket, when people start playing it, uh, the the first few seconds when they're flying around, they they are expecting to play something like a shmup. Uh, they think that they will get a weapon or that that they will start hitting the enemies with that the slashing attack that the characters have, and that will it will be like a sword of, or, or something like that. And then they have that little oh moment when the ball comes for the first time and they hit it and it starts bouncing around and that's like a, a plot twist in the mechanic and a little pleasant surprise you know it's not what you were expecting to play but it's uh, it's something new and different and still interesting and that's something that we we try to to achieve with any kind of mechanic that we are thinking for our games. That's awesome. Cool. Um, I have I have one question. It's it's like news, but also a question. Um, so you had mentioned to me well, right before we had uh, scheduled the podcast um, that you guys were featured um, on the Nintendo Switch Store, and I had I like was downloading a, another game, and I saw it, and I was like, huh? I was like, I swear I asked about Switch and didn't you know know what was going on. Um, so one congratulations because being featured on the Switch store is like, that's phenomenal and that's awesome. Um, can you like, obviously, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but um, what what was that? I mean, you can talk about the experience, I suppose. Um, what's what's that like, you know, when you when you are in the process of, you know, you know you're pitching this game at, at PAX East and you are, you know, you've got it on Steam right now. And then at some point, I'm assuming Nintendo comes in and says like, hey, like we want to, you know, work with you guys. Um, what's that like um, for your from your perspective in terms of um, how it like helps promote the game and gets it in front of other people? 
Um, that's going to be really exciting stuff. Um, so what's that? What's that? Um, what's that like? First of all, I have to apologize to you because you probably asked me about the switch, and I just had to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but that's that's how you have to do it. I get that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we've been in talks with Nintendo for a while, for for uh, for a few months actually, and uh, we were the whole thing is that we were um, talking about being featured at the the Ninja Direct, uh, the the Indie World Showcase. They did it that on on Thursday, and we we decided to release the game during the direct. Uh, you know, to to really, you know, make a splash on it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it has been overwhelming. I mean, we 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 showed up. Uh, we we just showed up on the indie showcase for a little bit. You know, in the in the ending sizzle uh, sizzle reel they do. But still, we had a lot of emails of people wanting to talk about talk with us. Um, we ha we are featured on the on the on the on the eShop. We are on the latest releases. We are on the uh, on the, their what's it called their, that window the featured featured games. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's 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 been great. Uh, there's a lot of attention. Uh, a lot of yeah. uh, websites talking about us. It's really cool. Yeah, I would say that uh, being featured with Nintendo actually opened a bunch of doors for us because uh, when we released on Steam, we got a couple of e emails, you know, requesting keys for reviews and, and things like that. And uh, we we sent out a bunch of uh, emails as well, you know, lots of uh, press releases so we can uh, get the media to talk about the game. But the the amount of people who are reaching out to us and the amount of, amount of people who are uh, replying to the emails that we sent, sent out this time uh, is uh, a bit bigger than the last time, you know. I feel like the, 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 the fact that we were featured, it, like, it helped a lot in making people just, you know, take an interest in, in, in our game and wanting to talk about it. Because it's kind of like a, a seal of uh, quality, quality, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like okay, so Nintendo considered this game good enough to be uh, to be showcased at the at the direct, so it, it must be good, right? So people get, uh, I I feel like they get more curious about the game. We got the official Nintendo seal of quality, you know that. Yeah, exactly. Now you gotta do it. Now you gotta do a physical release in like an old school uh, NES box or something. Yes, please. <laughs> oh yeah, I, uh, I think we're gonna have like a. Uh, we're trying to do that, and I think we're gonna have like a huge argument if it's gonna be a, a Genesis box or a Super Nintendo box. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But yeah. yeah. you have to pull the audience for that one and see where they where they fall. Or just do both. That's yeah, gonna... you could do both. But that work. I mean, the uh, second yeah, box is just superior. It's plastic. The other one is just paper, and you throw it out. But I mean, who am I to? As, a, collect as a collector of both, I I just they're both cool. Um, <laughs> I the the one thing that's beneficial about Genesis cases was they never got damaged, right? Like a, a Super Nintendo box you get crushed in storage, and you're like, oh no. But a Genesis, yeah. You know, pretty much the only thing you had to worry about was like that plastic film on the outside that held the artwork in place getting ripped. Yeah. Um, uh, those were the days. Yeah, I, can't, <laughs> I can't argue with that. 
but the thing is now it's it's really cool because we're having a little bit of a retroactive attention to the game because of the indie world there's also a lot of people uh saying like how did i not see this game before uh it mm -hmm. has been on steam since uh uh last year October. last year uh and a lot of people are just surprised that the game uh wasn't uh didn't bring a lot of attention uh on its first release so it's really cool um, is that something you notice um, in terms of like Steam picking up as well? Like, does the attention from Nintendo bring people also to Steam? Um, do you kind of see any correlation there? Um, a little bit, yeah, yeah. We we had a we had like a tiny spike of sales on Steam when when uh, on the day of the the direct. Uh, but I think uh, I think it might pick up a little bit. Yeah, cool. Um, CJ, do you have any other questions? I do not. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I was gonna say I went through. I had a couple of my questions. My last question, and this is kind of one where I feel like you can you can just kind of talk it at whatever length you need to to kind of answer this one. Um, because the game came out obviously back in October and it was on Steam, and then you guys you bring it to PAX East, and now it's on um, Switch. I guess for me, my question is. Um, you know what's what is that like um, when you bring the game to a convention like PAX East and, and you know you're going to get a lot of um, you know basically like free user testing and player feedback. Um, what is that like when the game's been out for a while and and you know someone might be playing this for the first time and and they have um, like kind of interesting or unique feedback? Um, how do you guys kind of I guess channel that into either whatever your next project is that you're working on or potentially actually making like some updates to the existing game um what's that what's that kind of experience like because i feel like it's just an overwhelming amount of like data that you end up with after being at a convention like pax oh yeah <laughs> uh do you want to talk about it lucas yeah yeah sure uh i feel like that even in uh on smaller conventions because we've been to lots of events like that in, in Brazil, but they are way smaller. Uh, even in those, it's already overwhelming the amount of feedback that you get. And you do get some very interesting feedback that can uh, potentially become content to the game, or at least like a, a, a good uh, adjustment, some good uh, change, uh, you know, some quality of life changes for the game. And uh, it's kind of sad when you start hearing those feedbacks when the game's already out, because you know that you don't really have the resources or the time to to add anything that's you know to anything major to the game. Uh, so you just kind of have to save it for the next project or something like that. Um, we just you know we we, we do a, we make a backlog of things that we want to to add to maybe Skyrocket two or maybe to a DLC if the game sells enough sells well enough you know mm -hmm. uh, we just do a backlog we're always thinking about the the ideas that we we are we are always having new ideas for the game I mean I'm pretty sure that we are we have enough content to make a second game <laughs> if you want if you want we want uh, if we can actually. Uh, but we are always trying to listen and to pay attention to everything that people are telling us, everything that the 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 way that they are re reacting to the game while while playing uh, during the the event. Uh, one of the main reasons that it's me and Jande going to the event usually is because we pick up a lots of feedbacks. We are always 
writing stuff down about the game. Even when people are not saying anything, we're watching closely and we are taking notes as people are playing. <laughs> you know, every time someone leave, leaves the, the booth, we pick up our cell phones and open a notepad and just write stuff down so we can we can think of new adjustments and, and things to improve on the game. Yeah, and with packs specifically, because uh, as Lucas said, we went to a lot of events here in Brazil, we went to a lot of shows, we've showed the game around. Uh, so uh, here in, in Brazil, there are a lot of people that actually know the game. They they go, they see it, and they're like, oh my God, I've saw this game on, on this website or this YouTube uh, or, or somewhere else. Uh, so they know, the, they know the game, they know it's Brazilian, they know it's from a company from Rio de Janeiro. Uh, so uh, when we got the game to PAX, uh, it was uh, everybody was seeing the game for the first time. So that's a, I think that's a different experience. And also, it's yeah. really good to uh, op to open it up for a, a different uh, audience. Like there's a, a whole different public getting to know the game and playing the game and seeing something that they hadn't seen before. Uh, and being surprised by the things that uh, we'd like to see the people being surprised about. Uh, yeah. Also, it's very different taking the game to PAX because uh, we, I mean, most events that have games in it aren't actually um, uh, directed to video games and video game players. They are like uh, geek conventions or like... Uh, they're they're like the their focus isn't video games or if it is it's like esports so there's like Fortnite there's uh like a huge Sony booth it's not exactly like people that like indie games that's a very big difference when we go to PAX because uh people are there just they just want to gobble whatever new indie games are coming so they just want to know everything about it and they are and most of them they are really good players so uh, it, they 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 understand the game really fast, so it's a it's a it's a really cool uh, audience to see like playing the game. Uh, it's it's very different uh, and it's very satisfactory actually. Uh, it's always you know uh, some people just get the game uh, and get the references and they are and most of them. I mean, we had a great experience at PAX. People people really loved the game there. And they love seeing something that they hadn't seen before. Awesome. Um, is there anything else? So, I, I, like I, um, that was that was kind of like the last question that I had for you guys, because um, and I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything you guys want to talk about? Like, do you want to tell people about the game um, that maybe people haven't picked up on or don't know, or um, you know, anything? Um, I mean, I guess. Anything else that you guys want to talk about? Like, feel free. Like, this is this is uh, um, free for all territory at this point. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like to to comment on, on something real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, so, if you if you have seen the game but haven't played it yet, uh, even if you're not actually super curious about, okay, uh, even if you're not super curious about the game, uh, that one thing that we heard a lot actually that makes me really happy. Uh, is that uh, there are many people who are like, oh, I'm not a big fan of that kind of game, but I really liked your game. You know, people who usually look at the game and think it's uh, basically a shmup. They're not big uh, shmup fans or not big blockbreaker fans, but then they play Skyracket and, and, they, and they like it because it's different. So uh, 
We have a free demo on, on Steam. So check check that out if you're not, uh, you know, if you feel like it's not your kind of game, because you might be pleasantly surprised. I hope you are. <laughs> I just want to, I just wanted to say that because that, that was something that we actually heard a lot and it surprised me a bit. Perfect. Um, I'm actually. I just wrote that down because I didn't. Um, I didn't realize there was a demo on Steam. Because I'm gonna make sure I put that in the the podcast notes um, so that people can um, see that if they check that out on the website. All right. Um, cool. I actually. I just came up with. I have one question for both of you now. Because um, obviously we've got this Super Nintendo Genesis thing going on. Uh, yeah. Best, best or favorite game from each of those consoles? Like okay, for. Uh, sorry. Sonic and Knuckles. For <laughs> yeah, Sonic and Knuckles. It is good. It is good. Uh, for me, I I'm very divided between two games, but but I had to say uh, Kirby's Dream Course. I love that game. It's like the the only game that I have in my collection that is, that has the box and the manual because I love the game so much. And the very close second place would be Wild Guns. Mm. I have to agree with Kirby's Dream Course. Very good call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too like basic. It's it's Link to the Past, Zelda Link to the Past. Wow, it is it one is of like, the best Zeldas. <laughs> it's my, yeah, it's like my favorite. Like anybody who's like Ocarina of Time is the best Zelda. I'm like, nah, you're wrong. You're just wrong. I'm sorry, it's not. Um, <laughs> not Link to the Past is way superior. Yeah, oh, but wow. I have a question for you guys now because okay. we're talking about uh, Link to the Past. Is that your favorite Zelda? Is that my favorite Zelda of all time? Um. It's tough. I want to say yes. Um, I would say if I had to pick three Zeldas and I could never play Zelda again, um, I would pick Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, and Zelda 2 on NES. I would probably oh, really? pick those three. I and, and Link's Awakening is tough because I kind of want to pick Wind Waker instead of Link's Awakening. But I think it would be those three. If those if I had three Zeldas and could never play any other Zeldas, I would pick those three. And that is tough because I really like Breath of the Wild. But I think I would go old school and, and stick with those three. Uh, that, that's awesome because uh, I was actually going to ask what you guys thought about the Zelda Two because I know it's kind of like like uh, uh, it's a game that many people just don't like very much. Yeah, it gets written off a lot. Um, yeah. If I was if I was a wiser man, I would have totally been like the, the Zelda games on Philips CDI. Uh, <laughs> which, I want to buy them just to have them, like put them on a frame and put them on the wall. Yeah, me too. But they're so expensive that I'm just like, you know what? It's fine. I'll live without it. They're so bad. Um, yeah, Zelda 2, Zelda 2 is great. And I think it's because it was so much different than Zelda 1 that a lot of people wrote it off. Um, but it really just had, it really, it was a very, very difficult game, but it was only difficult if you made it difficult. Like if you understood the mechanics no different than any other, like, like a fighting game, really. Um, yeah. You could beat it very easily. Um, it's a time-consuming game because there's a lot going on, um, and some of the puzzles don't really make a whole lot of sense. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I always kind of really appreciated how much different it was than the first Zelda, and that's, that's why I, like, really enjoy playing that one. That's something yeah, it's, that... actually, it's actually one of my favorite Zeldas as well. Yeah, it's a good one. That's something that I love about that time because, uh, I mean, nowadays it's like if you're doing the sequel, it's just going to be like the first game and it's going to be, but it's going to have more things. Uh, it's kind of the, like the mentality of, of action movies. 
but yeah, just like slightly, slightly better graphics. Yeah, yeah, and a little, and more things to do or new mechanics. Uh, now it's but back then it was just crazy. They would do like a game that was completely different from everything else. I remember when I first played uh, Super Mario Bros. Uh, Two, uh, Super Mario Brothers Two. That was that was so crazy when I was a kid. But it, it but actually that was the game. That was Mario. Uh, it was it was weird that you couldn't jump on enemies and kill them. But what are you gonna do? That's the game that you're playing. Right, right, and then even and then Super Mario Three was so much different because it was like a return to Super Mario One, but with you know the overworld and just oh, man, yeah, I'm hitting some nostalgia feels right now. Um, well, because I'm a I'm a collector, so I've got like you know, I think I have a, I think the current total is like 119 uh, NES games in my collection. And then, oh, awesome. like various various amounts of all the other ones, um, but I've had every system from I basically have everything from NES to current day, with the exception of uh, I don't have a Sega CD or a Sega Saturn, um, I, but I do think I have every other console. Like I have Virtual Boy, which is really just like it's more it. for looks than anything, because like you play it for fifteen <laughs> minutes and you have a headache. Yeah, um, it's machine there, <laughs> but it's but it's. You know, it's really cool. I have like a, I have like one sealed Virtual Boy game that I have no desire to open because it, to me it's more, it's it's more about the the principle of having a sealed Virtual Boy game than actually playing it because I know it's probably going to be terrible. Um, it's like a baseball game or something, but yeah, I, I've always been inspired by you know retro games and and kind of a return to that type of gameplay or or style of art. So. You know, again, I, I want to say that I really appreciate Skyracket for what it is and, and, and the fact that you guys have so much influence behind the game. Um, it does really show. And, and you know, so thank you for making this game. Um, it's really fun. So um, if you guys want, I would suggest, because um, if you don't, I'll do it, um, uh, giving everybody your social media's uh, website for the game. Obviously, we know that it's on Steam and Nintendo Switch. Um, but basically, let's let's let everybody listening know how they can find you guys um, and check out what you have made and what you're working on in the future. Um, so feel free to to put all the social medias out there. Sure. Uh, you can find us on double-studios.com. Uh, that's our, game, uh, our company's website. Uh, there's also skyracket.com. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, double-stew. Uh, that's double dash stu. Um, and uh, my personal Twitter is uh, at Jean de SF. SF. Um, I've uh, I've been posting a lot of things about Skyracket there lately and some cat pictures. <laughs> uh, and I think Lucas, uh, your your Twitter. Yeah, mine. I'm gonna write it down. It's a uh, Lucas underscore uh, floco. F L O K O. Gotcha. And I'm also posting some uh, some uh, cat pictures because they are my cats that Jande uh, has been photographing, and uh, <laughs> and also uh, if you guys have been playing Animal Crossing lately, we have yes. been making some Skyracket uh, custom designs for for Animal Crossing as well. Awesome. So you can check that out because I'm gonna be sharing them. I want people wearing them. 
Oh, that's awesome. Very <laughs> cool. Um, all right, you guys. Well, it, it, uh, if there's nothing else, uh, I think we can we can start to to close out this this episode. Um, it, it has been a pleasure having you guys on the on the podcast. Um, I oh, you just put all the websites in perfect, so I can put that in the um, podcast notes um, with the Twitter handles and stuff. Again, if you're listening, the game is Skyracket. It's Double Dash Studios. Um, please go check it out if you are at all into any games that have retro inspirations, shoot 'em ups. Um, brick breakers like all of these things like really fun casual game to play with a friend um you know it's it's out on nintendo switch right now it's also on steam as they mentioned there's a demo on steam so if you've got access to steam a steam account um check it out i, I would implore you to do that um if there is uh, cj do you have anything else to uh to add I do not. I'm going to try out the game. I just downloaded the demo on Steam as we were doing this. I have yet oh, to play it. Awesome. So, I was going to say, that's right. You weren't in pack, so. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> slipped my mind a little bit. Um, and, yeah, so, again, thank you guys both for being here. This was great. Um, you know, this has been episode 101 of the Disconnected Gamers podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter at the DGCast. Um, you can find me at So After I Said. Uh, CJ, you're just, it's, it's Urkamet or is that? Uh, no, that's Instagram. Twitter is yeah. just Urkamet, at Urkamet. Okay. E-R-K-I-N-E-T. Um, Correct. And yeah, so that's, um, that's the episode. So again, thank you guys so much for, for joining us. Um, you know, it's been fun. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, obviously we'll be looking forward to, to what happens next with Double Dash Studios, but, uh, if anybody has any other questions for them, um, please uh, jump on uh, podcast notes in iTunes or on our website. I've got all the websites linked there. And, uh, you know, uh, this has been a fun episode. And uh, I really hope everybody sticks around for episode 102, which probably be in a week or two from now. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And have a great uh, have a great day.